Good morning. How's everyone doing? It's good to be with family this morning, uh, Sunday mornings. Uh, not just because I'm an extrovert, but are my favorite days of the week. I, I love being in the house with family, celebrating and worshiping uh, the Lord together. So if this is your first time joining us, my name's uh, Pastor Alberto. I have the honor and privilege to lead, lead this church alongside co-elder Thaddeus uh, under Chief Shepherd and Chief Elder Jesus. And if you're joining us online, shout out to our online family joining us this morning. Uh, I just want to kind of uh, piggyback a little bit off of what Paul said to really highlight the importance of this day. Uh, in our pre-service meeting, we, all of our volunteers gather in this room for about five, ten minutes to kind of go over the flow of the service. And right before we ended, I, I shared uh, this thought that I felt the Lord was impressing on my heart. How today we're going to see people get baptized, transferred from death into new life in Christ. And I really felt the Lord pressing on my heart that, that today we're not only going to see new life in Christ, but we're going to see old life, people who are already walking with Jesus, experience exactly what Paul talked about this morning, this resurrection power, this personal revival, almost a sense of new beginnings. And uh, it's so great when the Spirit of the Lord just comes and unifies us together, because uh, Paul didn't know I was going to share that. I didn't know what Paul was going to share, but really I believe what God's revealing in this moment. Is that like you said, there's people in this room that maybe are craving breakthrough. You're craving new life. You're craving for God to do something, to revive something in your heart. And church, today, I believe God's going to work miracles. I believe that in this moment, we're going to encounter the resurrected, the living Jesus in the word in this morning. And that you are going to experience this sort of new beginning, fresh life in Jesus. I'm expected, and from that place, I really want us to, to posture ourselves as we worship the Lord in the Word. So we're going to continue our series this morning, um, For Everyone, uh, New Life on Mission. And we've been discussing uh, this idea that Paul says that the gospel is for everyone. That the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done isn't just for the Sunday morning, isn't just for the saints and for the believers. Rather, Jesus is for everyone. And Paul is so moved by uh, the, the work of the Lord in his own life, saving him from his sin and setting him free, uh, that he's encouraging this group of people that he's writing to, to really live and proclaim and embody uh, this message. And so that's kind of the idea that we've been discussing, is what does this new life look like when it's on mission with Jesus? What does this new life look like when we move away from the sidelines and say uh, we want to partner with God in his mission to advance the kingdom of uh, his kingdom to every ends of the earth and every area of life? And so today we're going to be discussing a key aspect of living life on mission. And it's the idea of being rooted and grounded in the love of God. Rooted and grounded in the love of God. So uh, with that, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 19. I want to invite you to stand with me, and we do this to honor the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. If you're joining us online, I invite you to stand to your feet with me wherever you find yourself, and let's honor the word of God together. This is what it says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, 
so that, you may, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, there it is, rooted and grounded in love, may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we pray. Lord, we come in Jesus' name, and what Paul's praying is is my prayer, uh, that you would fill our hearts, that you would strengthen us with your power, that we may be rooted and grounded in love. Give us the strength this morning for one moment to comprehend the breadth, length, height, and depth of your love that surpasses all knowledge. Spirit of the living God, would you come fill us with the fullness of God? In Jesus' name, amen. Man, this week I was uh, running errands, and I was at one of my favorite stores, Target. Target's a good place to be. And, uh, and, and the way my mind works is sometimes, like, I get these random phrases or slogans that come to my head, and I just cannot stop saying it out loud. Uh, so sometimes, like, I'll be doing dishes and just singing the same lyric over and over and over again. And Morgan's like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, I don't know, I just can't shake it. Uh, it's just the way I am. Leave me alone. And so uh, when I was walking out of Target, uh, this, this slogan came to my mind. Uh, you might know it. Uh, love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Yeah. And I thought to myself, what? That's maybe subconsciously, like, uh, there was a Subaru that just drove by. Uh, Subaru is like my dream car, so if you're watching this or if you're in the room and you want to get me a Subaru, uh, that's what I want, a Subaru Outback. And uh, I was just fascinated by uh, this phrase, and I thought to myself, love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. And I started asking myself, why? Why, why does love make a Subaru a, a Subaru? And, and, and when I think about these commercials, uh, there's quite a few things that are happening, if you've ever seen one. Uh, they make this claim that they're the longest-lasting car on the market, uh, that you see old Subarus all over the road, and that they're so reliable that they have this incredible longevity to them, then that they're one of the safest vehicles on the market. And really what they're saying is that the highest experience of love is this sort of reliability. That that you can take a Subaru in these commercials to the wilderness up these crazy mountains and they're going to make the trek and come all the way back in one piece that they're reliable. That you can see Subarus from 20, 30 years ago still on the road that they're long lasting. Uh, That these Subarus have these high safety ratings that you can actually trust your life in these vehicles. And it's almost like they're making this claim that, that the highest form of love or one of the highest experiences of love is longevity, is reliability, is safety, is stability. And, and when we think about love in action or we think about love on display, is this not the type of love we want to experience, church? Is this not the type of love that we want to have in our life, a love that is safe? A love where you can pour out your life and be received well in vulnerability and openness. Do we not crave a love that's reliable? Where you know that you know that you know that on the other side, someone's going to reciprocate to you stability and security and be there for you. Do we not crave a love that's long-lasting and enduring? A love that is not fickle and doesn't fade, but is enduring. And if we're honest, 
We crave this love because this hasn't been our experience of love. Uh, We've experienced maybe the exact opposite. Where we've given our hearts to people and people that we thought would be there end up disappointing us. Where we give our lives to uh, individuals or families in hopes to find safety and security and we're met with brokenness and abandonment. We crave this experience of love because this hasn't been our experience. And it's silly to think that a car, an impersonal force, could reciprocate that love. It's silly to think that this this object of matter could love you back when all it was designed to do was to get you to point A to point B in maybe a really cool, stylish way. It's impersonal. It can't reciprocate love. And if it were up to me, I would say this love, it's what makes Christianity, Christianity. Uh, Love, it's what makes God, God. That the highest quality of love is not found in a Japanese vehicle. The highest quality of love is not found in the purchase of an inanimate object. Rather, the highest quality of love is found in a personal God. And this God offers his love. He gives his love. And he loves us so deeply because he deeply knows us. And the love that he offers is reliable. The love that he offers is trustworthy. The love that he offers is secure. It's safe. It's good. He's dependable. And for Paul, the author of this uh, text that we're reading, Uh, the early church leader and missionary. For Paul, the saving love of Christ was crucial. It was central to all that he did. Knowing the saving love of Christ and fully appreciating it was one of his strongest desires and one of his most frequent prayers. He would pray, oh, that they would know the love of God. Oh, that they would fully appreciate and be moved and stabilized and rooted and grounded in this love. Because knowing this love, living in this love, changes everything. It was the driving force of his ministry. The overpowering sense of Christ's love was the driving force of ministry in his own life. And for this reason, Paul prays. Paul prays that that believers would be extremely touched and aware of this great divine love. Paul prays that his people would be strengthened by this love, that they would be overcome with this love. And when Paul prays, we we just read his prayer, uh, in the original language, it's one sentence. It's 86 words. Uh, We just read it broken down into five verses, but Paul is given over into this love. And in one really long sentence, breaks down his heart. For the people of God, that they would be rooted and grounded, that they would know this love that God has made available for them. And so we're going to break down this prayer into four points. One, strength. Two, love. Three, knowledge. And four, fullness. If you're taking notes, strength, love, knowledge, and fullness. Uh, And we're going to look at Ephesians 3, uh, 16 and the first part of 17 as we talk about this idea of strength or stability, or security. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith. Uh, the idea here of strengthening means to be reinforced, to be fortified. Paul prays that the believers would know the strength of the Spirit of God, that they would be reinforced internally, be stabilized uh, by this power of the Spirit so that they could draw near to God and experience His power. And so my question this morning is, well, what's the point of this? What's the point of of Christ strengthening our hearts? Uh, Why is Paul praying for Christ to to strengthen and stabilize our hearts? Well, uh, one of the reasons he prays is because in this early church context, Paul is writing to a group of people who are just overcome by all sorts of spirituality. Uh, that as we've discussed before, that in the normal day and age, uh, you could go out into the city and really just throw a rock and it would stumble upon a random god or temple and boom, you could worship that god. You could worship that spirit. You could worship that deity and being. And the idea was that if you could give yourself over to this, this false god, that maybe, maybe, just maybe, this god would intervene in your life. That this god would do something in your life that he would or she would satisfy the cravings of our soul. And so the idea of spirituality was so rampant that, that many in Ephesus feared torment by false spirits, that they uh, walked in the sense of weakness or fragility because they were occupied in such a spiritual world. And, and Paul prays that, that we would be strengthened because in his context, he knows that the early church, they need power to resist evil. Uh, they need power to turn away from sin and the sinful patterns of the flesh that oppose Christ. Uh, he knows that, that we need power uh, to walk in union with Jesus, to walk in community, and to fill the world with the good news of Jesus. Uh, Paul is extremely aware that following Jesus out of your own strength is virtually impossible. That you can't be a Christian. You can't have a relationship with Jesus if you're taking the initiative to sustain your relationship with Jesus. That's not the message of the Scriptures. In fact, the message of the Scriptures is that the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, comes and dwells inside of us and empowers us to live like Jesus because there's no power within ourselves to overcome the enemy, to overcome the power of the flesh, to overcome temptation. That we need a power from on high that is moving in us and enabling us to pursue Christlikeness. Because apart from the Spirit working in our life, we gravitate naturally towards sin. We gravitate towards brokenness. Paul prays that they would experience this power, that they would be strengthened by the Spirit of God, internally fortified so that they could resist temptation and walk in new life in Jesus. And the world that we live in, we don't really think like this. We don't really leave this building and think to ourselves, what sort of spiritual principalities and powers are after me today? What principalities and supernatural powers are opposing God this morning? And the temptation is to think that we can live for Jesus on our own strength. And I would argue that that's the temptation that many of us, myself included, face. It's not that we're not unaware of supernatural powers and how God desires to strengthen and move in our lives. It's that maybe we don't really believe it. 
And we don't really draw near to him to strengthen us and to reinforce us. Our temptation is to think that we can live the Christian life in our own strength. Our temptation is to think that we can come up and muster enough power and enough faith to walk in godliness. And yet, my question is, how's that really going? I I know for me, when I find myself trying to follow Jesus out of my own strength, I actually get messier, not holier. That when I try to follow Jesus out of my own strength, I actually feed the appetites of my flesh instead of feasting on his spirit. And the reason why is, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, there's a mechanism of sin working inside of us that is pulling us away from godliness, that is distracting us from a life of faith, that is almost cruise control for walking in uh, apart from a relationship with God. And Jesus comes into the vehicle of our lives and turns off the cruise control, moves us out of the driver's seat, and takes the wheel. And he begins to rule and reign over our lives and begin to drive the vehicle of our lives. And so when we ask for the Lord to strengthen us, what we're asking him is, is to become the Lord of our life all over again. A Lord, would you come and take control of my life because I'm trying to strengthen myself and do things out of my own power. Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you empower me to be more like you? The message of the Bible is that we desperately need the power of God to live as sons and daughters because we cannot do it on our own. So how is this strength experienced? How is this reinforcement, how does this play out into our lives? Uh, Paul goes on to say in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Um, And I'm going to just nerd out for a little bit and and focus on the word dwell. Uh, In the original languages, there's just two words for dwell. Um, I'm going to try to pronounce them, and then we're just going to keep moving. One is uh, part oikos, and the other is kat oikos. Uh, And so there's these two different words for the word dwell. The first sort of version of dwell that we see in the scriptures means to inhabit a place as a temporary resident. Uh, This is the word that that the scripture uses for uh, when the people of God are just temporarily inhabiting a land, uh, when when they are just a resident of a territory. It's like staying at a hotel or an Airbnb. You're a stranger to the home. You're a temporary resident temporarily dwelling there. The the second word that the scriptures use for the word dwell is something way more powerful, something way more amazing. Uh, This idea of dwell means to settle down permanently. Uh, It it, it means, uh, this is the word that is used to describe how Christ dwells in our hearts. That Jesus, when he dwells in our hearts, he's not a temporary resident. Uh, He's not waiting to clock out at 3 p.m., He's not just staying there while he moves on to somebody else's life. Rather, he is a permanent resident in our hearts. He is a permanent resident, not waiting for the lease to end. Rather, he has made his home in your heart. And what's so amazing about this is is that the idea here is that wherever Christ dwells, he rules. Wherever Christ dwells, he rules rules. So when Christ comes and dwells in our heart, and he makes your heart, your life, his permanent resident, hear me church, he doesn't become your roommate. He becomes your ruler. 
He becomes your Lord and Savior. He becomes the king that sits on the throne of your heart. And so when he comes to dwell in our heart, he comes to express his ruling reign over every single area of our life. And this ruling reign is the most loving thing that God can do for you and I. Because it's when Christ rules over our hearts that we can experience the maximum amount of freedom that our hearts crave. When Christ rules in our heart, a loving Savior sits on the throne of your life. And this loving Savior rules your life, not in a way to control you or to limit you, but to set you free. To bring you life and life abundantly. He's not a normal resident. He's a ruling resident. And where he dwells, where he lives... He rules. Is Christ a temporary resident in your heart, church? Or is he a permanent resident? Is he the type of resident that uh, you kind of like lock the door and evict when you go into an area of your life where you do not want him to speak to you or convict you uh, or, or, or guide you? Or is he someone that sits on the throne continually in every area of life? Uh, He rules and reigns when you walk into your friend's house. He rules and reigns when you go into the grocery store. He rules and reigns when you're doing dishes. He rules and reigns in the classroom. He rules and reigns at the party. He rules and reigns in the argument. Or is he a temporary resident that we temporarily push aside so that we can give in to the desires of our flesh? Paul prays that the Father... Paul prays to the Father. He's on his knees praying to the Father that Christ by his Spirit would rule in our hearts and would strengthen our hearts. The next thing that Paul prays for is that uh, he prays that our inner being would be strengthened with the power of God so that we could be strengthened to love. Let's look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Let's pause there. Paul prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts. That, that Christ would strengthen our hearts so that we could be strengthened to love. And in the kingdom of God, in the new family of God, love is the birthmark of all God's children. Uh, love is the supreme value that God calls us to embody. Expressing a love for God through uh, worship unto him as we live reverently and in awe and joy of him, loving him and then loving others. The call to love the Father and to love others, hear me, must be empowered by the Spirit of God and Christ dwelling in our hearts. Because only when it's empowered by the Spirit of God and Christ dwelling in our hearts, then, only then, can we even uh, attain or grasp uh, Christ's selfless love for us. Because unless Christ is empowering us to love others, we love selfishly. We, we love transactionally. What can I get in return? Uh, what can I get out of this relationship? What can I get out of this friendship? We leverage our loves as we give it out to others so that we could receive something that our hearts crave and desire. Let me love you so that I can get something from you. Let me love you so I can take something from you. And that's sort of the narrative of love when we try to love apart from Christ. It's, it's selfish. It's, 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 it's uh, internally me-centered. 
And Jesus comes to free us. He comes to free us from ourselves so that we can selflessly love others as Jesus has loved us. So that when we give our love to others, whether they reciprocate it back in return, it's not the source of our identity, our worth, our value, our fulfillment. It's rooted and grounded in the love that Jesus has poured out for us. I mean, reconsider Paul's context here. There's a reason why they needed the Spirit to empower them to love. A few weeks ago, we talked about the dividing wall of hostility. There are deep racial and cultural divisions that separated Jews and Gentiles. Deep racial and cultural tensions that would put two groups against one another where they would not mix and congregate. Uh, Where before, the normal mode of action, uh, of expressing emotion was hatred, hostility. Paul called it a wall of hostility. And now he's calling them to love. He's calling them to embrace and embody the highest kingdom ethic to love one another selflessly. And to love like that, or what Jesus would say, to love your enemy requires a supernatural, supernatural empowerment by the Spirit of God that would enable us to walk in what Jesus has called us to do. And that's the good news, church, is that when God has called us to do something, he will provide all of the grace, all of the power that we need to walk in obedience to him. You have been given grace and power by Jesus himself to love your enemy. You have been given grace and power and new life to step into places of deep tensions and divides and embody a life of love and grace. And this love of Jesus heals. It makes things whole. It renews. It restores. And the restoration and the renewal and the healing that we long for is often on the other side of loving our enemy. Church, let's embrace that love. Let's walk in that love. They need the Spirit's power to enable them to love. And if we're honest, we do too. I do. I, I did not feel like loving my son yesterday um, because he was being a toddler. And I'm like, Lord, surely there's a better way. Okay, come on, guys. Don't judge me. I know you parents feel the same exact way. I'm like, man, thank you, Stephanie. I'm like, I don't want to love you right now. God, please. Is there just a toy or a movie that would distract them for four hours straight and I could just uh, release all of my responsibilities? I need the supernatural power of God to love and shepherd my son, to love my wife, to love his people, to love the way that Jesus is tenderly loving me. The good news is that in the kingdom of God, this is not a self-attained virtue. You don't wake up one morning and say, I'm just going to become a better lover. I'm just going to love the way Jesus loved me and then sort of fall into that subtle lie that you have to do this out of your own strength. No, in the kingdom of God, we love by experiencing love and then just loving It's this weird mystery where we experience love uh, by tapping into and receiving the love that Christ has for us through a relationship with Jesus and communing with him. And then somehow that love comes out of us. So if you're struggling to love this morning, let your heart be tenderly loved by God. Paul uses two metaphors to describe this love. One is a gardening nature metaphor and the other is an architectural metaphor He says that uh, you being rooted and grounded in love. This is beautiful because the type of love that Paul has called us to is not a superficial love. It's a love that has depth. 
It's a love that has experience. Uh, It's a love that that, that goes beyond the surfaces and communes with God and with the hearts of others. Uh, Paul uses these two metaphors because he wants to emphasize depth, that, that deep roots go into the ground that are the source of stability and security for these great trees and, and that firm foundations allow even the tallest skyscrapers uh, to scale great heights. Paul, the Lord, Jesus Christ has called us to be a well-rooted tree in a well-built house. Uh, to live a life of depth, to move beyond the superficial nature of loving with our words, but embodying it with our lives and loving the way Christ has loved us. A follower of Jesus is all in for Jesus. And the temptation is, is to live superficial Christian lives that have no depth. The temptation is to follow Jesus on the surface. The temptation is to say, I go to church and I'm plugging into a community group this week, and I pray often, and and that's all God gets from me. But he doesn't just want a few activities and a few days. He wants every area of your life. Uh, He doesn't just want you uh, to be uh, on the surface following Jesus. He wants to root you and ground you in his love. So come what may, trials and tribulations, whatever you may experience, you will be stabilized. And found safe and secure in his love. A life of love for the Lord and others is a life of depth. Rooted and grounded. Hear what John Stott has to say. Love is to be the soil in which their life is to be rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which their life is built. We root our lives in the love of Christ. And we build our life on the love of Christ. The next thing that Paul prays for and believes for his people is that they would have a knowledge of this love, that they would have a knowledge of Jesus. Um, We continue to read verse 18, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I I love this so much. Paul prays that through the power and strengthening of the Spirit, that we would not only be stabilized, reinforced by the Spirit's power to follow Jesus, that we would not only be strengthened to love one another, but that we would be strengthened to comprehend the love of Christ. Uh, To further quote John Stott, he, he says, the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, especially Jews and Gentiles, the theme of these chapters, that the love of Christ is for everyone. Uh, And it's long enough to last for eternity and deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner and high enough to exalt him to heaven. Amen. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You have a spirit of victory, not because you're victorious and you've conquered many battles, but because he loved you and has conquered the enemy of sin, the flesh, and the devil. You are more than a conqueror, for I am sure that neither death nor life, uh, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That sort of love that we crave that's long-lasting. The love that we crave that is stable. That love that we crave that is safe and secure and reliable and enduring church. That love has been made available to you and has been poured out for you in Christ Jesus. This love that God has for you is long. This love is deep. This love is eternal. This love is far better than anything this world has to offer because it's not from this world. It's from an entirely different world, and God is pouring it out on you abundantly, holding nothing back. Where do we experience this love? Let's look at verse 18 that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Did you see it? Where do we experience this love? With all the saints. This love of Christ is experienced with the saints, the people of God. This is amazing that God has designed the church, that God has designed community, not to be a place where we reflect to one another our our, our shameful moments, our, our inadequacies, our brokenness. Rather, where we reflect to one another the love that God has poured out to us. Where if you are feeling that this love isn't long and deep and eternal and stable and reliable and secure, God has designed the church and the gathering of the saints to be the place where we could reflect that love to one another. So that it could be rooted and grounded in our hearts and we can believe that God is far better than the people of God. And the way that they express their love. God has designed and has expressed uh, and ordered for this love to be reflected and lived out with all the saints. We need the people of God to understand the different facets and aspects of God's love. I will boldly say this. You are limiting yourself to understanding the multiple aspects and facets of God's love if you are following Jesus by yourself. An isolated Christian can know something, a few things about the love of God, but that grasp will be limited. Why? Because God has mysteriously designed the church, the gathering, the assembly of the saints, the people of God in community to be the place where somehow his love is reflected to one another. And we learn more and more about the different aspects and facets that God loves us with. Paul says that we comprehend this love with all the saints, all the saints, men, Women, young, old, diverse cultures and ethnicities, diverse backgrounds and experience, we see on display the diverse aspects and facets of God's love. We receive his love. We become rooted and grounded in this love. So you know what this means? I'm encouraging you to plug into community groups this week. I'm encouraging you to find a day and time that works with you and plug into these groups that are designed to reflect the gospel to one another and be places where we experience the love of God so that we can be formed and filled and nourished by his love, for his love, as we grow as disciples of Jesus. I love the Spirit of God and how he just providentially orders these things. Uh, I did not plan on plugging community groups, but you kind of have to when you're at that place in the text. And I think that's the Lord that's really affirming this moment right now, that maybe you feel that uh, community groups uh, would be 
a place where you can't express yourself because it seems unstable and not reliable and not trustworthy or enduring or long-lasting, yet that is the place where God wants to fortify your heart and strengthen your spirit with the assembly of the saints. Community groups this week. Let's dive into following Jesus together. Where else do we see this love? At the cross. We see this love at the cross. The supreme expression of God's love for you is Christ's death on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Uh, In love, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Now predestined can mean a handful of things, uh, many things, many ways to understand this, but it most clearly means this is that God has loved you with an undeserved love. Uh, That before the foundations of the earth, before you were ever born and breathed and and even existed, God played a a reel of your life, took everything into consideration and said, "I, I love you. And I want you and my family, and I'm going to send my son to die for you. Your sins, past, present, and future. He predestined you into adoption. He loved you eternally, if you're a Christian in this room. He loves you with this undeserved love. And the cross is the reason why this is possible. Love is possible. A life of love is possible because faith in Jesus brings us into a whole new life. A faith in Jesus brings us into new life, into a kingdom where the ethics of love are far different than the cultural scripts and standards that we live in. Uh, where love is freely given and poured out to God, by God when we least deserve it, regardless of who you are or what you've done. And when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and rises from the dead victoriously, He conquers sin, he conquers death, he conquers the power of the enemy and all the demonic forces of the day and age that wage war against the kingdom of God. He conquers all of that so that you, my friend, are no longer dominated by sin. You're no longer dominated by self-desire. Now you can be ruled and led by Christ. Jesus has come into your heart and has done this crazy demolition remodel and has positioned his throne has made your life his tabernacle and he rules and he reigns not a temporary resident a permanent one and what's the point of this if i can just draw it out just a little bit more the point of this is so that we can know the love of god and be filled with the fullness of god Verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't even know how to preach that. I I honestly do not know what to say about that. To be filled with all the fullness of God truly surpasses my knowledge and anything I read about this this week. And yet that's God's desire for us is that he would fill us with all of his grace and riches and power and mercy. That he would fill us with him. And that we would experience a life with God uh, that surpasses knowledge. God desires to fill you with him. And we see this, that Christ himself is the fullness of God. 
Uh, And the aim here is to be continually transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the other. Christ is the fullness of God in human, in flesh. And that is what we are becoming more and more like as we grow as disciples of Jesus, more and more like him. And, And here's the good news of the kingdom of God. Here's the good news of the kingdom of God is that we can experience the fullness of God. We can experience the fullness of his love because Jesus emptied himself into the hearts of men and women. We can experience fullness because Jesus emptied himself into the hearts of men and women. Philippians 2, 2, 7 through 8 says, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus did not empty himself of his divinity. Rather, the idea of this is that he emptied himself into something. That Jesus willingly humbled himself and he left the splendors of heaven. That he left the comfort and the riches and the glory of heaven and he emptied himself into our world. He emptied himself into our world so that we who are empty, who are broken, who are barren, who are dry, who are trying to find love and stability and and trustworthiness and life in a thousand places and spaces could find it by being filled with the God who has come to us in Christ Jesus. He emptied himself into our world. And so this is what this means, church. When Jesus says, I love you, he doesn't say it from the sidelines, looking down on heaven saying, yeah, I love you. Rather, he acts on his word. When Jesus says, I love you, he acts on his word by coming into our story, taking on humanity and flesh to show us his love. And he willingly empties himself, pours himself into us so that we could be filled with the fullness of God. This is good news, church. That Jesus has come, has met you where you are. He emptied himself so that the emptied ones, you and I, could be filled with his power, with his presence, and experience new life. How do we get in on this? How do we embrace this? I want to close with this quote that I read from an article. For, love, for Paul, love is never simply a self-attained virtue. It is the result of a transformed life filled with the Spirit of God. Love is always the result of a transformed life filled with the Spirit of God, which God pours his own love into the human heart. Hear this. Lack of love, therefore, calls into question the, the presence of the Spirit in one's life. Lack of love calls into question the presence of the Spirit in one's life, and hence one's whole relationship to God. The fact that Paul's encouragement to love are frequently voiced in the form of a prayer reflects his conviction that love, like everything good, ultimately derives from a gift of grace. The key to loving is to be the key to loving is being filled with the Spirit of God. The key to loving, the key to receiving, the key to embracing this life of love 
is to be continually filled with the Spirit of God, to continually commune with the source of love. And so this is Paul's prayer, 87 words. Paul prays this one sentence that they would grasp, that they would know, that they would understand this love. And listen, you and I know that that I can say all the words about this, but unless God comes and intervenes and encounters us, and unless the Spirit enables us, we will not live this life of love. So what we're going to do now is, is we're going to pray and, and pray for what Paul prayed. We're going to pray for the power of God to strengthen us. We're going to pray for the love of God to overwhelm us. And we're going to pray that Christ would rule in our hearts. Let's close in prayer before we transition to communion. Lord, we praise you and worship you for being the wonderful God who left the splendors of heaven and emptied himself into our lives so that we could experience the fullness of you. And Lord, I praise you that a life of being rooted and grounded in love is not one where we garden and till the soil of our own hearts, but we submit ourselves to the good gardener who uh, loves and desires to see fruit grow in our life, especially a lot of fruit of love. So Father, I just want to posture myself in the same position that Paul postured himself in, in prayer. I want to invite you to, to embrace this posture of prayer with me. And would you ask the Lord for power? Would you ask that he would fill your life, your vessel, your temple with power and strength? that you would be stabilized and secured not in your own abilities, but in the love of God. Next, would you pray that the Spirit of God would uh, help you to comprehend the love of God? Would you pray that the Spirit of God would come and overwhelm you with the love of God? Would you pray in your own words that that the Spirit would root you and ground you in this love? And for many of us, that may look like repenting of building our life and rooting and grounding ourselves in something or someone else that isn't God. If the Spirit brings you to repentance, would you just turn away and embrace the love that God has made available for you? Lastly, would you pray that Christ would rule in your heart. Maybe this week Christ was more of a temporary resident than a permanent resident. Whatever that area is, whatever the Lord is bringing to mind, would, would you take a moment to just repent of that and turn away and come to God who receives you with grace and love? And would you ask him, to rule and reign in your heart, not just in a few areas, but in every area of life. In your own words, would you pray that Christ would 
sit on the throne of your heart. I praise you for answering these prayers. I, I praise you, Lord, that in confidence, uh, I have this confidence, Lord, that these are prayers that, that you love to answer, that, 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 that you love uh, to, to, to move in and through. And so this, this moment and even uh, this week, Lord, I pray that we would experience a supernatural overflow of your power that we would just be gripped by your love, that we would be brought down to our knees by your love, as Paul was. And Lord, I pray that this week where we would feel the temptation to follow you in our own strength and to be the Lord of our lives, would you convict us and remind us that our best lived life is one with you ruling with you reigning, with you as Lord. Praise you for the gift of Christ Jesus. We praise you for the gift of this love. In Jesus' name.